I am always thirsty. And while we all love to keep hydrated, plain water definitely gets boring. And that's why I'm so excited to be working with AirUp for this series of the podcast. AirUp is a revolutionary new taste experience. It's a bottle that flavors ordinary water with scent. And trust me, you have to try it. I was shook. So here comes the science bit. When you taste things, your tongue only does part of the job. It tells you whether things are sweet, sour, umami, salty, or bitter. But most of our taste, aka flavor, is perceived by the olfactory receptors in our nose. AirUp's one-of-a-kind drinking system transports carefully crafted flavors through the back of our mouth to our nose where taste is perceived. Your brain interprets the scent as flavor, and there you have it. No sugar, no sweeteners, no nothing. Just plain water and the power of scent. So here's how it works. You fill up the bottle with water, still or sparkling, put the straw inside the bottle with the mouthpiece attached, and pop on a scent pod. To activate the scent pod, all you have to do is pull it up gently until it stops. If it's not activated, you will just drink water. Drink normally through the straw, And while you sit, the scent transports the flavor from the back of our mouth to our nose. And you get all that lovely taste. You can check out the full range of bottles, pods, and accessories at air-up.co.uk. And you get 10% off full price items using my code RAIN. Hydration just got more exciting, babes. Hey, I'm Josh Smith and welcome to RAIN. This podcast is all about empowerment and open conversations with incredible guests. So let's get straight into it. Today, we're joined by true icon, Christina Ricci. It's crazy to think since she was scouted at just the age of seven, Christina has gone on to star in Mermaids, Casper, Sleepy Hollow, Monster, and of course, she played the iconic Wednesday Adams in the Adams Family movies. And last year, Christina returned to the world of Wednesday to play Marilyn Thornhill in the hit Netflix remake, which we were obviously all obsessed with. We talk about that and my favorite TV show, Yellow Jackets. If you haven't watched it yet, it tells the story of a team of high school footballers who survive a plane crash. Christina plays a psychopath, Misty Quigley. It's a performance which is getting her major Emmy Awards buzz for a reason. You have to see it. Apart from deep diving into Yellow Jacket's many plot twists, one of the things I also love about Christina is that she isn't about being likable for the sake of it. So I hope Christina's refreshing outlook inspires you to people please a little less and I know I need help in that department. Well, I actually cannot believe that I'm just about to say this, but Christina, welcome to Raid. How are you? Oh, thank you. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm so good. How is life for you at the moment? It's good. It's a little hectic, a little busy, but you know, everyone's keeping their head above water (laughs) well that's the way we like it keeping busy and this is actually such a weird full circle moment for me because i called my mom and i said you're never going to guess this on the podcast today and i was like christina richie's coming on she was like oh my god the first movie that i ever took you to was to go see casper oh that's funny that's such a great full circle moment and now you are back on our screens and i mean we've got so much to talk about today but let's get into yellow jackets let's start from there and i mean wow what a show it's part mystery part supernatural part horror with a bit of 
comedy and cannibalism thrown into the mix. It's it's a real cocktail, to say the least. A bit of a dark and stormy, if you will. But let's take it back to the beginning of your Yellow Jackets journey. Where were you at in your life when this role came along? Well, I've been working this entire time. Um, you know, people keep saying you're back. And it's like, well, I was never really gone. Um, I've been doing movies and producing my own TV shows and all this stuff. Um and uh, Yellow Jackets, we shot that pilot, I think, a year, was it a full, like a full year, a year and a half before we ended up doing season one, I think because of COVID and all these other things. Um, and uh, so we shot the pilot in, I think, December of 2019, I think. Maybe not. I think so. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... Um, and, you know, it was uh, it was great. I mean, I loved the script when I got it. And when I met with Karin and all the EPs, I was just really excited to be making a show where, you know, everybody to me seemed to have the right things um, as a focus. You know, there was no talk about having to change the characters to make them more uh. likable so that the audience could accept the the terrible, quote, you know, terrible things that they end up doing um there was just a real uh focus on telling the story and being truthful and the characters being grounded and um but also the show being sort of fun and uh and daring and it is very daring and i think that there's a little bit of misty in all of us in a way because she does have that kind of like people pleasing element. She wants to be accepted, but then she's kind of battling herself at the same time. And she does have a lot going on. What did you resonate with her over? Well, I think that her, you know, the basic desire that she has is very relatable, you know, mm. to be included and to be part of the group, um, to understand popular society which i think she really doesn't um at her core kind of get or value beyond sort of this idea of being um included uh but she also is somebody who is shunned sort of from the pack for good reasons because once you include her she does things that hurt other people um not necessarily intentionally i don't think her intentions are ever sinister but she just has so um, she just has no boundaries, and her sort of moral compass is not the same as everybody mm. else's. So I think a lot of the darker things she does make sense to her, um, but it's just like her ability to go way beyond what is uh, acceptable. That mm. is a problem. So <laughs> I relate to like the compulsive need, the nonstop. Comp I, I relate to the fact that we all as humans have this compulsive need, um, whatever it is. Need and usually it's need to be loved, um, mm. and that is definitely something I think Misty has. Although I don't know that she actually has the capacity to feel what real love is or to understand love. There's definitely like. She starts the show at a deficit um, because, you know, that first in the pilot, we watch young Misty just watch animals slowly drown. So I pretty, I'm pretty sure that's meant to indicate that um, there's something missing there. Yeah, there's definitely a couple of question marks over her uh -huh. behavior to say 
the least. But it's so interesting, that idea of acceptance versus self-acceptance and finding acceptance within yourself, because that's such, that is a universal journey we all mm-hmm. go on, don't we? Mm-hmm. What's that journey towards self-acceptance been like for you? Well, I mean, I think that... I think that, you know, I'm a little similar to Misty in that I very much have accepted who I am. And I think she very much accepts who she is. I don't know that she or I have that objectivity to be able to see ourselves the way that others see us. Um, I've always known and in the past when I was sort of trying to be a little bit more, um, you know, I don't know, for professional reasons, commercial or uh. broadly uh liked i always knew that it would be me pretending i never thought i had to actually change myself i just was like we'll just do this thing now so that you gain access to this or that or the other um but i think that that is a very difficult thing to do Mm, it is and when you first got misty and you looked at her on paper how did you start going about trying to become her because you are literally her on screen to a T. It's just incredible to watch. Well, you know, when I did the pilot, there's only that one scene of her being abusive to an elderly person and her nursing home. And I was fascinated by that because I've always been sort of fascinated by people who do that. Um, kind of like, who are they? And when they go home, what does it look like for them at home? Like, um. What's their home life? And for someone to be so small and petty and to feel so powerless that they have to take advantage of somebody so much weaker, I think it's it's it just it communicates so much. Um, and then I think that does inform how Misty really is. You know, she knows she's never going to be given anything by people. Oh. She's had years, decades of being squeezed and um, rejected and and ignored. So I think that she really has learned that she has no power. She has no real power in the way that people normally gain power. Like she has no social um, currency, really. And so she's literally just taking uh, what she wants in life and creating her own rules. Um, and I think that some of that you can you can take from that initial scene of her just you know, having so much, exerting so much power over someone who is so much weaker. If that makes sense. Oh my so God, like, it that makes... didn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> it made Marvin. so much sense. And okay, I think good. it's interesting when you picked up on the idea of rejection, because everyone faces some aspect of rejection in their lives. And I mean, you work in an entertainment business. I work in an entertainment business where you have rejection or no's all the time and you have like a whole hybrid back catalogue of things that haven't come off or rejections you've had to go through and process how have you learned to deal with rejection and no's in your career well you know i started auditioning for things at the age of seven so i had to at that age learn to just let go of it um you know and my mother was great at that time and she she explained to me you know in this industry you're dealing with like so you're dealing with people who you might walk in the room and they say oh we wanted a blonde or we wanted someone who had a higher voice lower voice like taller than you so you have so little control um that i think professionally i'm actually very good at being rejected (laughs) i mean you know you might be like pissed off for an afternoon or a day but um 
but I've never been somebody who lets it like destroy me because honestly, as an actor, it just happens a million times a month. I mean, I love it. It's just like water off a duck's back. It's such a good you way have of to looking be like at that, it. or else you'll let it destroy you. And you know, I think also a lot of it has to do with balance. Like I have a very full personal life, and I always oh. have been more focused on what was tangible and what's in front of me on a daily basis, um, as opposed to being too, as opposed to like taking what happens in my professional life to heart too much. You know, oh, yeah. I feel like real life, your personal life, is so much more difficult it, my personal life is more difficult and requires a lot more of my focus and i emotionally react to uh than my professional life <laughs> and that goes back to the whole idea about boundaries and building those boundaries in your life and on the subject of your professional life i feel like this it must have been such a joy to get a character like misty at this point in your career because you know we hear the likes of nicole kitman and the reese have been talking about how they weren't offered the roles that they would have expected or wanted to play or the roles they feel like they deserve. That's surprising because I feel like Nicole Kidman has played some really incredible roles over the years and been in amazing movies. And yeah, that's surprising to me. <laughs> yeah, because she said something about like, you know, it got to a point where she was like, I'm only going to be able to work in theatre now because they're not making the roles for me in this demographic, in this age range. Do you feel like Yellow Jackets and Misty is still a rare example of you being offered a role you deserve i know do you do you ever get frustrated with some of the roles that you're offered yeah i mean i get offered a lot of things that i wouldn't do um i read a lot of scripts that i don't like or i don't think are good or you know i again i don't take it personally um i was really excited about misty just because she's such a fun character and i'm allowed so much freedom with her um uh I think they really, you know, the writers write what they write, but then I am really given, I'm not micromanaged at all by them, and I'm given the sort of freedom to execute what they write in whatever way I want to, um, however weird it is or different, and that's really, really wonderful. Um, I think for me, what's really special about this is the amount of trust I am given Um. by our EPs, especially with a character like this that... I think other creatives would look at and just, I feel like this character would make other creatives really nervous and they just don't have that reaction. So that's that's the thing that I think is most special because I don't feel old. So I don't feel like, oh, for my age, I can't believe I'm getting this amazing part. You know, I'm 43 and in most professions, that is the age where you do achieve like, you know, CEO or <laughs> all of those things. So. To me, it doesn't feel like um, amazing that I'm in my 40s and this is happening. Um, I Mm. feel more like just really lucky to have a character that is so um, creatively uh, inspiring. And it's great that the entertainment industry is caught up with that because we we don't have enough of that discussion because we see people, it's almost used to be like you hit over 30 and then it was like, oh, you're done now and it's there's so much amazing four-dimensional characters and stories to be told in every single age range and this is what this show really stands for yeah i mean we have we have a whole cast of 20 somethings and then a whole cast of 40 year old women um and it's great i you know i think there's still tons of content 
that reflects um, a, sort of the attitudes of old. Um, but thankfully, I think with with the creation of all these streaming platforms, there needed to be so many different. There needed to be so much content created that it that they let in a lot of different kind of voices and and perspectives. Mm. And while we're talking about the agency you've had over the script and bringing the script to life, oh, I don't have any agency over the script. Don't, don't. TV, <laughs> it's not that TV is not like film. Um, I they write whatever they write, and then I execute it to the best of my ability. <laughs> I have well, agency you... on set, but not. Not when it comes to any of the writing or or what the character does at all. Well, the way you deliver those one-liners of Misty is exceptional. And she's become a meme for that exact reason. If you were to rate Misty's one-liners, which one really stands out as one of your ultimate lines that she's had where you're like, oh, that was a good egg? I don't know. Oh, my God. Okay. Um... I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of some. Um, uh, I don't know. I enjoyed hissing at Elijah to hit him. Like they, there's a scene with the interrogation, and I'm literally telling Elijah to hit this character that he's interrogating. I enjoyed that part. Um, I can't really think of any for one-liners. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm trying so hard. I did enjoy when she came in and said who died when she was helping them clean up the Adam Martin murder. That was fun. Um, I mean, I have fun doing all of it. So I guess I guess for me, it's hard to like pick out different things and even like see, you know, when you're doing a performance, you don't necessarily view the next line you're going to do as a one-liner. So, mm. you know, there there are things, scenes I've, I've loved and lines I've enjoyed saying a lot of them actually um and then just like they give me freedom and they let me uh, you know i do ad lib a bit and you know mel and i had this really funny thing with a goat and i got to name like i in the scene i named the goat it was just like they they allow me to sort of like fill the air and scenes as my character which i really enjoy and you get to fill a lot of amazing scenes. I mean, she does go through quite the journey. She kidnaps people. She's a bit of a stalker. She's a bit of a beggar friend. She's a dark nurse. She's part unhinged, part sociopath, citizen detective. And the plot twists that go along with that are so good. Was there a plot twist that really had you stepping back and going, whoa, didn't quite see this one coming? I think... The way season two ends um, is really surprising and shocking, and I didn't see it coming at all. Um, and, you know, it hasn't come out yet, so I can't spoil anything or talk about it, but I think when... I, but that was the biggest storyline that really I was just like, oh, wow. Um, so, yeah. Oh, I can hear the fan theories already popping <laughs> off. <laughs> I mean, it's really, oh, yeah, it's really intense. Do you dive into any of the fan theories or have you heard any that have really, you've been like, oh, this is an extreme one I would love to see happen? I mean, I know about the ones from first season. I don't know about the ones from second season. And I only know about the ones from first season because 
we will be asked about them in press a lot. And this this season, I haven't been asked about them. I don't really know, like, where do I find them? Reddit? Like, is that where you go to find the fan theories? Yeah, or like a good tweet, like oh, diving yeah. into a Twitter, Twitter feeds. I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> so I don't, I, I that's what it was like last year. I was like, where do I find these things? And then I never bothered to actually find out. But um, there have been some theories that I thought were really interesting. And then... You know, just people I know in my life will, will like, people are just obsessed with who the antler queen is. Um, uh. And uh, lots of people ask me all the time, because there's, there's an ad that we have where it is the antler queen, but you can't tell who it is. Um, yeah. And then, like, my son will be like, I really think that has to be Misty, because, like, you're always wearing that jacket. I'm like... I, I do not think that's me, but yeah, like, because I don't even like, we don't know. We I don't know anything until I read the scripts. Um, and then other people that have asked me that same thing, like who? Wait, so who, who is the Antler Queen? And I'm just like I, I don't know, don't know, guys. <laughs> <laughs> You're like I'm just as in the dark yeah. as everyone else. Can you stop bothering me with these questions? Yeah, about and the is? thing is too, like we have such a huge cast that it's. For for our creatives, like they've got like twenty main cast who, if if they if all of us came to them all the time to be like, so what's going to happen next week? I'm like, what's happening with this? I don't know. They would never get any work done. So I think we've all sort of learned to just be like, can't wait to find out when that script comes. You know, <laughs> you literally wait by the letterbox, being like, come on. Well, what's I need interesting to know. is like. With this cast, it seems like um, everybody, as soon as the scripts hit our emails, we like literally we'll just, we'll just like sit down right there and start reading them um, because we have we're so interested and engaged and excited to know. Time for a little break, and I don't know about you, but I am thirsty, <laughs> and I'm so thrilled to be working with AirUp for this series of Rain. Hydration is so key to our all-round well-being, but plain old water can get very boring. AirUp is a completely new taste experience that flavors water through scent. It works like it's magic, but it's just incredible science, and because of this, AirUp works about any sugar or sweeteners you just add a scented pod to the top of your air up water bottle and it tricks your mind into thinking the water is flavored when you drink trust me when i tell you you have to try it so don't forget my discount code you get 10 percent off full price items when you head to air-up.co.uk and use the code rain One of the special things about this show is the central and slightly dysfunctional sisterhood uh-huh. that there is. Trauma bonds. <laughs> yeah, trauma bonds. <laughs> we love a trauma bond. How much has sisterhood helped you in your life? And when has it really helped you? Well, I have an older sister. And like I literally call her for every difficult decision. Um, so... I really understand that bond and I am very much a little sister. Like even on set, the dynamics are really interesting on set. Like Melanie is the oldest sister and she is the oldest child in her family. I am the youngest child in my family and I am such a little sister. And then we have like the middle middle siblings and they have like their own orders. Like Juliet is almost the oldest sibling, but not quite. And it's really interesting. Um, 
And I would say that, you know, in my personal life, I've definitely had times where like crazy things have happened. And because I am a public figure, it's been in the press. And I've had a lot of women, women I knew, knew briefly or women I don't know at all, reach out to me to support me and give me advice and just know that they're thinking about me and all this stuff. So I do think there is a very strong thing amongst women to sort of be there for each other. And I have felt oh. that in my life. How incredible is that sisterhood on set between you oh, all? Our, on set, it's amazing. I mean, this last season, um, well, for season one, I only had one scene with all the other adults. Um, most of my stuff was with Juliet, and then that was pretty much it. And then I had one scene. And then this year, uh, I think the last four episodes, all the women are together. And it was really fun. We And like for the last two episodes, it's it was mainly um, night shoots and night exteriors. So we're all like holding in a tent together. And, you know, people get really silly at like 3 a.m., <laughs> you know, and we had so much fun. And I have to say, Juliette Lewis is possibly the m most charming, entertaining, funny person after about I mean, in general, but like after midnight, it really kicks in and it's really fun. Um, and we had a good, we had a really good time, really silly, really fun. Um, also helpful. It's a cast that like you can say to somebody, like I'll say to Melanie, I, I just say this to Melanie all the time when we're, when they're doing like reaction shots of us, I'll turn to her and be like, what are, what are you playing in this scene? Because I'm, I'm just a little confused as to, and like, we'll literally, she'll be like, well, I'm playing blah, 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 because I don't know what, I'm, and we literally will help each other and talk through like, okay, so if you're going to play that, I guess I'm going to play this. And it's so um, collaborative and helpful and just really supportive and nice. Mm. And I think what's so interesting about this as well is we've kind of touched on this already is having this dual pot line between the teenage survivors and the present day. And it's such an interesting show for that reason, because you're constantly seeing the 16-year-old of the other character being reflected back. Did filming the show make you think about your teenage self or make you reflect on your teenage self in any way? Not really, no. Um, no, I mean, I don't feel like I'm that different to tell you the truth than I was when I was a teenager. Um, I mean, I probably am in some ways, but I don't know. It never made me think about that. Mm -mm. Mm. A little bit in terms of like when people are, would ask, you know, did you offer advice to Samantha, Samantha Henratty, who plays young Misty? Like, did you offer advice to her and all this stuff? And I was like, yeah. if I was her age, and she, I think, was 23 when we started and had been working since she was five. And I also was working for a really long time. What would I want to hear? So I sort of more put myself in the place of her, not the character, and then decided not to be condescending and offer her advice that she didn't need. So, you know. <laughs> You've both been in the game for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do find that interesting when people will be like, so did you did you give the younger cast advice? And I'm like, they're in their 20s and have been working for a really long time. They do not need me to tell them anything. They're so capable. I mean, they're so talented. 
Um, and then I also like just I know that me as a mid in my mid 20s, I would have been like, why are you telling me stuff as though I don't know how to do it? You know, so that I do find interesting. Yeah, you're like, I've been doing this since I was seven. Yeah. <laughs> Samantha would be like, yeah, I've been on like about a million film sets. Thanks so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you find it kind of frustrating when people still pick up on that idea of what a child star is and did you ever struggle with that kind of labeling around and that kind of reductive stereotype around what being a child star is um no i mean i don't know what do people think a child star is i think they usually like because every child star that i've ever had on this podcast so we have kenny shipko we've had Chloe grace moretz they are the most like sound of mind people and i think there's always this idea in the media that perpetuates this idea that child stars tend to go off the rails or they're wild or they're too young to be in these spaces. But if you are in control of your own power in those situations, then it's, it can be a very empowering thing to be a child star. Yes. And I also think you have to consider um, that people don't just live in their careers and whatever whatever's um. going on in their personal lives and who they are specifically, genetically and emotionally and all this stuff has so much to do with everyone's an individual. So I think that has so much to do with it. And some people deal better with fame than other people. Um, and some people have more supportive families than other people. And I do think that having a famous child is a weird pressure to put on a child. Um, I think it's, and I always thought this when I was younger, being asked questions about who I was before I knew who I was, mm. I knew that that was not helpful um, as a kid, which is probably why I was so obnoxious in interviews all the time. Um, but uh, I, do, I, I do think though, I find it interesting because anytime I do work with someone who has been a child actor, they are the most professional people on set. You know, they are the people that understand the sacrifices that are going to have to be made and the, the, you know, where you can speak up and where you shouldn't and all those different things. So it's, it is interesting. They're always the most prepared. They're always the most adaptable um, as far as working with them. Within that, have you always had a very strong sense of your own voice? Yes, but I haven't used it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I always was one of those people who like my internal monologue was real strong, but I would never speak up. Um, most of the time I didn't. Um, and even now as an adult, and this is shameful, I will oftentimes put my ideas through other people um, because I came up at a time where I wouldn't necessarily be listened to. Um, and so I still have that sort of habit. Like this season, I would I would put a lot of ideas through Elijah because I knew like they're going to listen to an affable man, you know. Mm, does that frustrate you that you still have to think that way? Well, I don't know if I have to. That's the thing. It's sort of like conditioning and something mm. I do. And it's probably also really like lazy on my part, you know, to not like stand there on my own two feet and say what I want to say. You know, it's a bit cowardly. So I guess in a way it frustrates me with myself. I guess I'm more that more like that's something more that I'm sort of I think is funny, but I'm also like, you're kind of being a dick right now. I was thinking about the way that your career has developed. And I mean, your first big breakout role was in Mermaids opposite Cher, who is like basically the queen of the universe. 
And I was wondering if watching a literal icon, an empowerment icon like that from a young age, did it empower you straight off the bat? It empowered me in a lot of ways. I would say, you know, with Cher, there was no um, artifice. You know, oh. it was just straightforward and clear. Um, no manipulations. She wasn't coy. Um, she didn't feel the need to to flirt with men to get her way or any of these things. She was just strong and um, completely straightforward and smart. And she educated me a lot while we were filming that movie. And she always made sure that I knew what was going on with the film and um, and with shooting. And I think that did influence me because I'm not a person who like wins everyone over so they'll be on my team. And I don't like flirt to get my way. And I, I don't use any of that stuff either. I'm very straightforward and even blunt, you know, and I, I don't worry about things like making everyone my friend so that everyone will be on my side all the time, all the time, the things that, like that, you know? I think we all have this predetermined thing within us to always be likable. And actually, be, you don't have to be likable to everyone all the time, do you? Like, that's it's, not going to serve you. I definitely see how it's helpful for some people, you know? <laughs> I mm. definitely have watched other people <laughs> and been like, oh, it's because everyone likes them that they're getting their way right now. It's amazing. Like, if I just put a, like, well, could, and then I've considered, like, could I do that? Or do I want to spend my time doing those things? And I just think I'm too lazy. I'm more just focused and about the task at hand and that kind of stuff. Obviously, one of your most iconic roles of all time amongst all the iconic roles you played is obviously Wednesday. And I was thinking about this because she is, such a great one model in some ways minus some sort of questionable life decisions and things she does because she knows who she is she yeah. doesn't conform she doesn't try to be anyone else she doesn't change to try and please anyone do you think playing that character early on kind of set you up for life in knowing who you are and not feeling the need to change I mean, I do. I, I yeah, possibly. I mean, I always say with that character, it's hard to know how much how much I was already like that and how much I was influenced just because, you know, I played that character for, I, I think, both movies, I think in total took, God, 15 months. So I spent 15 mm. months of my life at a very young age playing this character, being getting a lot of positive re reinforcement for that character. And then once the movies came out, more positive reinforcement. And um, I think when you're young, I do think that affects you. Um, so I think there is a very strong possibility that that did affect who I who I ultimately became or was evolving into. But I don't know. I mean, I could have been like that before, and that's why I got the part. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's hard to it's a chicken and the egg kind of situation. <laughs> it must be so interesting to have returned to Wednesday, and then not only to have returned to the the Adams Family franchise. But to play this new character and then to be getting submitted for an Emmy for playing that character and then also having Emmy buzz around playing Misty in Yellow Jackets at the same time. How amazing has that been? I mean, it was it was so great to be included in the 
in the in Wednesday and um to play a different character in Wednesday and be a part of it and work with Tim and the whole thing was really really fun um do I don't think I'm gonna get nominated for an Emmy for that but you know there are so many other incredible performances that I really think I think my chances are low <laughs> but but in, it's but it's really great I mean and um and I just think in general it, the experience with Wednesday was really a rewarding one for me. How is it rewarding? Well, I mean, I just, I I was thrilled to be a part of it, you know, and to be able to speak on behalf of why this character should be um, recreated for different generations and why she is such a great role model, like everything you said about her. Um, mm. I think it's been great to be able to talk about that, but from a point of view where I'm not actually playing that character, I think that's been really wonderful. Um, and just the shooting experience was so great. And, you know, I loved working with Jenna. She was so good and she's so, such an interesting person. And I really like the kind of woman that she is um, and the kind of actor she is. Um, and then I loved working with Gwendolyn. That was so fun. I love her so much. Um, uh, so it was just all in all a really fantastic experience. And could there be a comeback for season two? I really don't know. I haven't been told anything yet. I don't know. Well, I'm crossing my fingers. I mean, the thing to consider, though, also is that if Yellow Jacket shoots at the same time as Wednesday, I will. I would not be able to do anything in Wednesday. So um, it might be one of those like just scheduling logistical, not possible things. It is something that you know. I don't know if people consider that, but it's an issue. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I can't be in two places at once, guys. <laughs> and they won't let me either. <laughs> <laughs> you. Having the amazing career that you've already had and you have and all the very tangible success you have, how do you think your definition of success has changed, do you think? Well, you know, I mean, I am older now. I have a family. I have children. I've been through a lot of struggle in my life. Um... And I think that I'm a very, like, I'm very grounded in my personal life. And and by grounded, I mean dealing with my everyday life in the, mo like, that's what's tangible. So for me, my career, I want to, I view success as being able to support my family and give them what, you know, I dream of giving them, um, feeling secure and safe. And also having the ability as an artist to have my work be creatively um, satisfying. And all the other stuff is great. Like being nominated for an Emmy last year was amazing. I had the most incredible time. You know, they made, there's like a week of parties before the Emmys that everyone has to go to, <laughs> um, which didn't exist when I was younger. And uh, it was just so fun. And I don't know if when I was younger, I would have had as much fun in that situation. But this time it was just like, it was so fun to be there and to be amongst um, people that like, I can't even believe I get to call them peers, you know, people I'm fans of. Um, and, it, and then to be at the Emmys and, and I was able to just enjoy it and have a good time in a way that I don't think I've ever been able to before in my life and career. Um, so, so it was really amazing. It was an amazing experience. Does that grounding as well also give you a new perspective on failure as well and what you might have perceived as failure before? 
Yeah, because for me now, you know, the stakes are high in my personal life. So failure to me has less to do with my career as it does with very real things in my personal life. You know, it's the success of my children, um, you know, the financial stability, all of those sorts of ins and outs. Um, whereas, I mean, I love what I do. I love being an actress. I, I don't ever want to not be making film and TV. Um but I think I also have a view of it where it's like, well, you know, if opportunities dry up or if I'm not doing the kinds of things I want to do or if nobody wants to cast me anymore, I do understand that there are other options in this world. <laughs> and for me, you know, the things that would be more devastating are things that are, would happen to my family or, you know, very real sort of personal things. When you look back, at your career and sort of the way that you know women have been treated in um the entertainment business and the kind of sexism everyday sexism you have to come up against all the time is there a moment of sexism that still really shocks you or is there everyday sexism that you still have to come up against where you're like oh here we go <laughs> yeah i mean i've i mean you do encounter it all the time still like even really bizarre time not bizarre but really like small everyday ways i feel like every time i travel i have to be really aware of the fact that i'm a small woman and mm. like fight for my space at a, you know on a plane or an airport and um you know just little things like that i think really still exist how do you think you've learned to take up space i'm very aggressive I've learned to be very aggressive um, to the point where I always joke that if anybody ever saw me on an airplane, they would not like me at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I'm intrigued to know what you're like on the, on the, on the, on well, the okay, plane Okay, so I, for, for, for um, Yellow Jackets, they, we shoot in Vancouver, Canada, and I live in LA, and I have an eight-year-old son who goes to school here, so... I commute back and forth um, to shoot up there. And it's only an hour and a half. No, I think it's it's like a two and a half hour flight. But it's always full of businessmen. And <laughs> like, if you don't get your overhead space, someone else is taking that space from you and then they're taking your carry-on bag. And I only travel with a carry-on bag because I cannot stand to wait for luggage. And so um, I'm that jerk that stands you know the the like boarding lines they have like zone mm -hmm. one zone two and then people line up i get in line first in line 20 minutes before they call boarding and i don't care what anyone thinks i stand in that line i wait in that line i don't care if someone tries to go past me i'm like do you not understand how lines work because this is <laughs> clearly a line you know i there's like no you cannot <laughs> you cannot shake me you cannot rattle me i am waiting in that line so I'm always like first on the plane, get by, and then I'm the first person off the plane. And I am small enough to wiggle in between people, get my bags, get down, and I'm always first because, and then I usually like race to customs and I have like, I, I now know this special route through customs where you do like the app in advance. And then in Canada, you know, you get to go in this line that no one knows about. Um, but it's just because I filled out the ArriveCan app on the plane. People would be like, how are you out of this airport in 15 minutes? And I'm like, oh, no, you don't understand. I have a whole <laughs> thing. And when people don't abide by the rules where it's like this row and then that row, and that, that, like I, I will speak up. I will say something. 
I love this. I love how the aircraft and the airplane has become your kind of metaphor for life. But also, I feel like there's something very triggering about flying, <laughs> especially when you fly a lot. So, like, I get, like, my heart starts racing the second we, like, pull up to the gate. Like, I've, it just really triggers this, like, fight or flight thing in me, which I think it does with a lot of people. And that's why a lot of people act a little crazy at airports. <laughs> I now only want to travel with you because I feel like you get shit done. Yeah, but it's tough. Like, it's not, it's a tough situation. Sometimes I travel with my son and he knows. He's like, okay, we're ready. We're going. Like, we put our shoes on the second that we land. And, like, by the time we get we, shoes are on, backpacks ready to go, we're going. And he, like, grabs my hand and we just, like, but so it's a, it's a little bit much, I think, to travel with yeah. me. <laughs> I love how you just mean business. You're like, yeah. I'm doing it. I'm getting uh, I'm getting out of here. I have a life to live. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, it's been so great talking today. And we always end on one last question. That is, in the reign of your life, what is the one rule you'll always live by? I think sort of the unspoken rule for me is... And something I'm learning as well, because I'm bad at saying no. I tend to say yes a lot Mm. and then not really be able to fulfill all the commitments I've made. So trying to sort of live by this rule of, you know, does it, is it something that makes me happy? Is it something that serves my family? Is it something that is good for me? And I guess learning a little bit more, um, just a little bit more healthy amount of, um, egotism i guess if that's a word is that that. a word egotism i think Um, it is i think that that's definitely a word (laughs) yay bing 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 you know a little bit more like egocentric kind of decision making yes and doing things that serve you and not always in the service of others yeah because then because i lived my life for a long time feeling constantly like put upon or feeling uh, like I had no space to do the things that I really needed to do um, to for myself and my family, and um, just learning, just learning sort of a, a change in those kinds of things. Do you feel like you've got to the point in your life now where you have your full power in that sense? No, <laughs> no, no. I'm still trying. <laughs> And maybe we never actually get there. And the whole process is just trying to find our power best we can in certain situations. But yeah, but maybe that is li- that is growing and getting older and everything. And it's natural. And it just happened in different ways for different generations around different topics. And, you know, maybe it is just the natural process of growing to fulfillment, I guess. Well... I love seeing you on our screens. Thank you. You are in your full power on our <laughs> screens as Misty. And she's, I she's love in to her see full it. Power. She <laughs> questionably in her own power, shall we say. Yeah. She's created the own her own definition for power, but you know, she's there. She's there. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining thank us you. today. And good luck. Fingers crossed. Oh thanks. For a stunning emmy on that fireplace we'll see we'll see it'll be nice it'd be nice it'd be be nice around the house it must be really nice um (laughs) oh i don't and yeah it'd be really nice i would love to to have that experience again 
Let's just yeah. say that. Thanks for being here for this episode of Rain. If there are things that resonate with you, I'd love to hear from you. Get me on socials at Josh Smith Hosts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe, or follow, and share this with someone you think should hear it. Let's get those convos going because that is what this podcast is all about. Hi babes, me again. Just wanted to tell you about something very exciting. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this, but I've written a book and it's called Great Chat. As you know, I love to chat, plot spoiler, and I love talking to people about their lives because as I always say, talking and listening is so powerful. The book is all about how you can master conversation and transform your life just like it has for me. I've used my experience from all the amazing interviews I've been lucky enough to do, as well as a load of research to help you deal with everything from making new friends to embracing difficult discussions. Great chat should never be underestimated. It can truly improve your well-being, allow you to create the life you want, and bring the connections you are so deserving of, babes. You can pre-order Great Chat today in hardback, ebook, and audiobook, read by me, no less, and it's out on the 20th of June.